Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. It's a little bit more of a sour mode <laughs> than we would usually have at this point in the last few games. But welcome to our live Texans Ravens postgame show. Robert with Stephen Curran. Stephen, hard to complain about anything about this Texan season, but you just wish it was a relatively close game after such a Cinderella ride this year. Well, you're right, Robert. And what you were hoping is that history wouldn't repeat itself in these divisional games, uh, divisional playoff games. I mean, every one of them that the Texans have been in, and this makes number five now, if I'm counting right, they've scored virtually no points in the second half in each of those games. I think they scored one touchdown against Kansas City. But other than that, it's been pretty much zeros across the board in each of those divisional games. And you know, the, the thing is, they hung in there at the half. They were they were tied at 10. Despite all the mistakes, despite not getting that field goal toward the end of the half, you know, but, but you still kind of felt like if Baltimore scored to open the second half or at least scored first in the second half, it was going to be really difficult for the Texans to come back. And unfortunately, that, that's what happened. Yeah, and we're going to take apart the game, but trust me, at some point in here, we're going to give the Texans some major props on on just a unreal season and what a ride it's been. And just the fact that we're talking about a football game the Texans are in on January the 20th. That's kind of cool. I mean, it really is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I picked them. I, I wasn't on the podcast with you when you guys made your predictions, but I had them going seven and 10. So, you know, they reversed it. They were 10 and seven and they won the, the uh, wild card round which, you know, none of that we were expecting. So, yeah, it's a disappointing end, but certainly not a, a disappointing season. If you look at the stats for C.J. Stroud, it's 19 of 33, 175 yards. That's not terrible. It's obviously no touchdowns. That's not good. He, again, threw no interceptions, took care of the football. There was one close call in the whole game. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, I mean, Stroud was not the issue. I mean, this was about everybody else, and, and C.J. Stroud just didn't get help from his offense, and we're going to talk about that one as we move forward. But uh, we need you guys to get in the comments. We want to hear from you. Yeah. We're going to unpack this thing by position by position, like always, and sort of dissect it from that perspective. The Texans go three and out to start the game. But, Stephen, what I didn't get was why the Texans – after they won the toss, D'Amico decides to take the football first. The typical play is to get the ball to start the second half, get good field position to start the game. You also want a want to let a playoff crowd maybe sit on its hands early with their offense on the field. Well, actually, Robert, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I, I don't have a problem with D'Amico taking the ball, and here's why. You know, so often the Texans defense comes out in that first series – and they give up a touchdown. They give up some big plays. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, the Ravens haven't played in three weeks. Lamar Jackson, he's just warmed up. Make him sit for a little bit. If the Texans could jump out and score first, get the crowd out of it early, then that's a feather in your cap. Well, obviously, it backfired. It didn't happen. But, you know, that was my thinking when they decided to take the ball instead of go on defense first. Yeah, I, I just, to me, the traditional play I like and also – it's a crowd that's cold, they're freezing, and when the offense is on the field, the crowd's got to be quiet. The Ravens' offense would 
would have been on the field. The crowd's got to be quiet. And, and in that case, you know, it's like the crowd, you know, get maybe get a little bit longer to wrap, you know, wrap, ramp them up, I should say, and get them going yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Know. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's six of one half dozen of another. You know, if it had worked, if the Texans had scored first, we'd be telling a different story. Uh, you know, they could have gone ahead and gone on defense and Lamar Jackson would have scored immediately. So it's just, it's hard to say. It's easy to look back on it and say, yeah, maybe they should have tried the other way. Yeah. And it failed miserably also in the second half for other reasons. And we're going to get there, but right. the Texans D in their first test bend, but don't break Christian Harris, a big tackle for a loss on Lamar Jackson. Tucker kicked the 53 yard field goal, but Steven, I noticed Amico blitzing much more than we've seen him do early in games this season. I thought it in my head. And then later on, you heard the guys on TV talking about the same thing. Yeah, I think if they, if I counted right, I think they blitzed three times just in that drive alone, Robert. And that's something the Texans don't typically do, but Lamar typically has trouble with the blitz. So, you know, you knew Jeff Burke, the defensive coordinator might try to come out and start that early. And that's exactly what they did. Next Texans possession, they get into field goal range, but the Texans with three penalties, which is the same amount they had all last week. If you heard us in our midweek show, me and Sean Bajani, we brought up penalties. We thought it was going to be a story. This looked like the Texans that we've seen all year long, just too many penalties. There was false starts by Tunsil and Mason, a grounding penalty because Brevin Jordan missed a block off the edge, and that ends the drive, but the Texans D responds with a quick three and out, although an obvious holding penalty on the punt, <laughs> yeah, which was another, yeah. another, you already have four and you have now more penalties, Stephen, than they had all of last week, just with three minutes to go in the first quarter. Well, you, you know, you hoped that last week's game was not an anomaly. You know, that the fact that they played such a penalty free mistake free game, but honestly, you know, they, what do they have? eight penalties for 50 yards in the entire first half alone. And those are just drive killers. I mean, it's just as simple as that. And and I don't understand. I mean, I'm calling Laramie Tunsil Mr. False Start because he leads the league in them. I don't know how your left tackle and, and your – every lineman, I think, except Dieter, got one. It, it just boggles my mind that this late in the season, and I know you're antsy, it's a playoff game, but it was a playoff game last week. You were playing for a playoff spot a couple of weeks ago. I mean, this is not unfamiliar. You, I know you want to do your job and get your guy, but when you get antsy, all you do is cost your team points. And that's exactly what they did on that drive. I heard one of the broadcasters prior to the game at some point, I can't remember when it was, it was right before the game, it was within the last couple of days, Stroud had expressed to them that one of our issues was dealing with communication last time we were in Baltimore and again it was a problem and you know I also want to give this is also give it give it to the Baltimore crowd I mean give it to that stadium uh they were magnificent and you know from what we understand according to the broadcast team they're one of the best at, at causing those type of penalties too well they certainly are fans can always make a difference in a game whether they realize it or not and they certainly did and you also have to give some some props to the Baltimore defense. I mean, they are definitely as good as advertised, and they make you want to kind of have happy feet and uh, maybe get a little bit of a start than you want. But regardless, I mean, that that's really what cost the Texans, I think, as much today as, as anything else. It's just so many mistakes, especially on that drive. 
Yeah, this reminds me of Altuve and base running with Tunsil and false starts. It's like uh, his his one flaw. It's like the the supermodel, but you know she's you know she's you know kind of annoying at times with her making you want to go shop with her or something like that. It's yeah, like oh yeah. man, I, I I I wish my wife was perfect, but she's got her one little flaw. That's kind of what it is, her husband or whatever. Well, in the Texans case, though, I think it's a pretty big flaw because it's something that just is, has pestered them all season long. And, you know, then you definitely want to try to work on that, if not during the off season, at least when you come back next year and just get better at that sort of thing. Yeah. The other thing is the broadcasting was like, oh, this is the young Texan team or, what you know, no, no, no. Laramie Tunsil has been around multiple pro bowlers. The guy's a veteran. He's played in the playoffs before as well with the Texans. If I remember correctly, uh, you had yeah. George Fant, who's been around for a while. Shaq Mason yeah. was with Shaq the Mason, Patriots. He's been around. Juice Scruggs, you know, he, I mean, okay, he's a rookie, so you can give him that excuse. But but everybody else, definitely not. So the Texans then drive into field goal range. But again, penalties not helping. A delay of game on third and eight. And an incompletion leads to a Fairbairn field goal. Steven, they were lucky to get that after Schultz dropped a wide open chunk play pass early in the drive and then Stroud was nearly picked off on that tip pass. Yeah, I was going to say, let's not forget that Schultz dropped a pass that you really, really needed to have to set up that. But yeah, d- despite the false start and and also, you know, they did a no huddle quick snap, Robert, and it totally backfired on them too. They lost some yardage there. So just definitely not an effective drive, but it did get the three points. And uh, believe it or not, you know, both kickers making field goals beyond 50 yards in the the swirling, freezing cold weather. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, Eddie says the second half of this game, a repeat of the second half of the game we played against Baltimore in week one. It was tied at the half. Then we got our doors blown off in the second half. And I will remind everybody that if you haven't been paying attention to the Ravens this year, they're kind of blowing everybody out. And I imagine a lot of teams are like, oh, we, we played them close for a half and then you know, and they're and they've beaten really good teams. We mentioned it yeah. in our midweek show, the fact that they had won more games against above five hundred teams, ten than any team in NFL history. So Yeah, what is, did they have third where they were thirteen and four, right? So ten of those thirteen wins against above five hundred teams. I mean, that's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, somebody mentioned Slowick and wants to put the blame on them in the comments. I'm gonna uh, remind me, Stephen, we're gonna come we'll, back to Bob. We'll get Slowick. back to Slowick. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get back to that. So the Ravens' next possession, long drive leads to a two-yard touchdown. But, Stephen, Lamar Jackson, two huge running plays because the Texans' D left the middle of the field wide open. No spies on Lamar Jackson early in this game, which surprised me, surprised maybe everybody. You'd think that's a priority, and that's the number one priority with Lamar. Well, and it, it happened time and time again. I mean, Jackson was just finding that middle. I, I mean, the, the defense, they weren't staying in their lanes which is what you need to do and keeping an eye on Jackson. I mean, everybody's talked about that. Every every analyst on God's green earth has been talking about that for the whole week. So how you keep leaving the middle unprotected, I, I don't understand that. Yeah, there's two things that I think were the difference in this game, and I'm going to get to the second one as we pro- progress through this. But number one, I mean, the Texans were simply beat by Lamar Jackson's legs. I mean, that that's the story of, of the whole game is – Without Lamar Jackson's running, this game is, you know, neck and neck, and and that's it. Well, I don't know. I mean, you got to give credit, though, to to Edwards and Hill and even Dalvin Cook in the second half. He got into the action, and then they just ground out the clock. But 
really all of their running backs, including Jackson, just kept the Texans completely off balance. They they didn't have an answer. I mean, for a defense that has been so good against the run all year, they had absolutely no answer for the Ravens' rush, which, I mean, they were the leading rushing team in the NFL when they have 156, averaged about 156 a game. Well, they got at least 220, 230 today. So they were way above that average. Jackson was a big part of that. But you also have to hand it to to Edwards Hill and Dalvin Cook, too. Yeah, I, I don't really think they got the rest of their guys going until the game went along. And I've, I've got my reasons for that, and I'm going to go into that in a bit. But the Texans go three and out on their next possession. Singletary stuffed on a third and one. The run game for the Texans, non-existent. And again, I want to discuss that. But Stephen, the official spot on the screen prior to Singletary's miss on the one yard was terrible because Singletary's butt lands inches away from the marker, inches. And all they would have needed would have been a QB sneak. And we know how big that is with the Texans. It's much easier for them to get a QB sneak than one yard. They're just not good at getting one yard, especially on the ground. Well, here's my question, Robert. I I totally agree with you. But what I don't understand is why didn't Ryan's challenge that bad spot? Why why didn't D'Amico throw the red flag? I guess he thought, well, we can get the yard and I'm I'm going to save it. I might need it later. I mean, I can't argue with that philosophy, but you know, well, it's, it, it would have been big though. It, it would have been it would have been huge in in that particular instance. Yeah, we because yeah, you had hard. third and one. Yeah, it's it, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to know because I mean, it was, still would have been I think fourth down. I mean, third down, but it would have just been, it's, it was much shorter. I mean, I get it. I get it. I get one to keep it. It's. What are we now in the first quarter, second, early yeah, second quarter? Yeah, we're still a long way. I, I agree with you there. So the Texans, uh, they get a three and out on defense. Sacks from Heinish and uh, Christian Harris. Then, Stephen, we finally had a reason to jump off the couch. At least I did. <laughs> on the punt, Stephen Sims just called up with Noah Brown's injury straight up the middle to the house. You know, Robert, sometimes I wish I was doing these shows with you guys before the game because – if I say this now, it sounds pretty hollow. But when I heard that Steven Sims was being activated for this game, I got excited because not only is he great on punt returns, I think he had about 49 yards of punt returns before this game. You know, he provides speed. I thought maybe he could make a difference, you know, make a, a play or two downfield as a wide receiver. Well, he didn't do that, but he sure did on that punt return. I mean, he is a threat on the punt return, so... I got a bit excited when I found out that Sims was being activated. And believe it or not, he was really the the lone spark that the the Texans had today with that return. You just like him because his name is Steven now, right? Well, it is. Yeah, it is part of that, too. (laughs) (laughs) You can't beat that. So remember the Ravens honored Jacoby Jones before the game. And boy, on social media, everybody remembered that part because the Ravens asking for some bad karma because – Remember, Jacoby had that punt bounce off his helmet on a return 12 years ago when the Texans and Ravens played in this very same game. It led to a touchdown, and that was the difference in the whole ballgame. Yeah, how could we forget? And then, of course, Jones, if, if you, you talk about twisted irony, Jones, you know, the Texans release him a few months later. He goes to the Ravens and even helps them win a Super Bowl. I mean, talk about a guy that turned things around. Unfortunately for the Texans, he did it with the Ravens, but – you think they were honoring Jacoby Jones before this game was coincidence? I think not. 
Yeah, yeah. It was, I thought, all right, that that's going to be, that's a sign for us. I thought that's a good sign. And I was and hoping it was. I certainly was hoping it was a, a bad karma sign like you. I think you put that on Twitter too. Yeah, I was about the last good sign for the game for the Texans, unfortunately. But let's get back to the action. Texans force another quick punt. The defense looking really good outside of one drive in the first half or maybe two drives. They get two chunk plays after that from uh, Stroud and Nico put him in field goal range, but Fairbairn sails the field goal. And Steven, who knows how bad that Baltimore win was playing havoc with that kick. He looked like he missed it by less than a foot to the right. And it's it's one of those things where Justin, that, that's another reason why Justin Tucker is so awesome because he gets that 53-yard field goal. It's right down the middle. And yeah. Justin Tucker has to kick in Baltimore a lot, which is a lot harder to do than what, Fairbairn has to do, which is, you know, kicking the the dome stadiums like with the Texans or, you know, obviously with the Indianapolis and some of the stadiums in, in their conference. Well, I don't know if this would have made a difference or not, Robert, but there was another false start, the one by Scrubs. You know, that five yards, it may or may not have made a difference. We'll never know, but it, it certainly it certainly didn't help. Yeah, no, I'm sure that, you know, another it was basically sailing, sailing a yard right. If he was five yards closer, it probably did, does go through the, the crossbar. Um, and then as we get um, back to it, the Texans D ends the half on a great note. Two straight sacks. Cashman gets one. Then Harris and King combine for one. And Stephen Buck and Aikman point out at that point that D'Amico had adjusted to Lamar, put a spy on him at the end of the half. They just showed the one play. It was hard. It's hard to tell when you're watching it on television how much that they were adjusting. But I'm sure that was something that was an emphasis and. That was something that D'Amico discussed, you know, with the halftime, uh, the, the halftime uh, broadcasters coming or coming out of, at the half, I should say. Yeah, certainly. And he did make the adjustments. But, you know, I, I mean, that's the thing. You got to credit Baltimore because you thought going into the half. Well, you know, if the Texans, they don't get the ball to start the second half. But if they can stop Baltimore again and, and get that ball back, it would turn things around. And, you know, maybe the defense would continue to play like that. But obviously, Baltimore made some adjustments of their own during the half to counter that. I guess Willie is a Ravens fan, or he's telling us <laughs> that we don't know what we're watching with the Ravens because we've talked about how good the Ravens are, and I'm going to. I will talk more about it as it goes on. But he's. Oh, we said it several times, Willie. I don't know when you started listening, but we we've said it several times throughout this broadcast. Yeah, it says Texans and CJ played a great game, but you all still don't get it. The Ravens are just that good. No, we get it. We understand that. We talked about, you know, the stuff that they're going to bring in for the game and, you know, the concerns that you have, and we're going to talk more about it. I, I will say one thing, though. I, I, I mean, in some way, I, I will say this. I don't know that the Texans were as bad as the fact that just the Ravens are that good. I, I will give them that. Oh, there's no question about it. And and I'm going to explain why and, and, and if when we get to sort of the conclusion of all this. But I want to get through a couple other things. Because we go to the third quarter, and this is, you know, we got we got to just finish it off with the last few drives here. The Ravens, a good kick return to midfield. So after the Sims TD, a couple of bad special teams plays with the missed field goal and then the kick return. So special teams giveth, and then it took away. Right. The Ravens take advantage, 55-yard touchdown drive. Lamar finishes on a QB draw, 15-yard touchdown. Steven, I noticed Blake Cashman was the guy in charge of Lamar in the middle, but Gus Edwards comes out of the backfield to block him. 
And Lamar's kind of fast too, so that matters. But you know, you're we're we're giving the Ravens credit because you know this is where you, you if you let us talk about where the Ravens are are doing good, this is what they do. They they know what you're going to do, and they adjust to what you're doing, and they adjusted to it and block Cashman right there. Well, you know that's a, that's great, like a great point. And, and the thing is, we talk about how much the Ravens' defense keeps offensive get, uh, offenses guessing. Well, that Baltimore offense, they know how to keep defenses guessing too, and that's exactly what they did. And you know, the the one thing, I, the one play that almost could have been a big play on that drive, Jackson fakes a give, and then he throws a pass, and Petrie almost has his interception, almost has it, not quite. It's just, again, it's a game of inches, Robert. If he makes that interception, then the game could have turned on a dime on that drive. I hate to be a, that guy at this point in the season, but, I mean, I've been on Petrie all year, and, and that's really Jalen Petrie, Stephen. I mean, he misses everything by just a little bit. And, yeah. you know, I just I, I'm, I just get frustrated with him because I'm like, at some point, you got to start making plays because you're ma- – you're making a lot of bad ones, but the ones that you're almost making that are good, you're not making. You're not making, and they don't count, except in horseshoes. So, yeah. Yeah, so th- that, was a t- that was a tough break, and that was the one chance the Texans had all day at a turnover. So, uh, anyway, Texans get the ball back. They get into Ravens territory when Singletary finally gets a hole and a big run. But this weird reverse flea flicker screen loses five yards. I wasn't a big fan of that, the way that whole thing set up. Um, but, I mean, if George Fant can block one guy out there, there were three guys ready to kind of open up space for him. So they end up hunting. And at that point in the game, Stephen, the O-line was really struggling. And this is where I want to get to Bobby Slowick. Bobby Slowick has schemed around this makeshift trash offensive line that the Texans have put out for the whole year with all the injuries. And he's done a fantastic job. And finally, you run into a Ravens defense that's strong at every spot along that defensive line, is good at scheming it up, and he couldn't do anything about it. And these guys were getting killed and crushed left and right. It wasn't a good game for Laramie Tunsil, I didn't think particularly. And no. the other guys were not just doing their job, and, and the Ravens were just getting in and forcing Stroud over and over again out of the pocket, rush throws, throw on the run. And look, Stroud can only do so much here. And and especially in these conditions, you're trying to throw on the run. You're gauging the wind. It's freezing outside. The offensive line was bad. And and the Ravens, they got a great defensive. You know, that's the difference in the game. The game was, it was simple. The game was won in the trenches. Oh, absolutely. It's just classic NFL football for you. I mean, to my knowledge, uh, Stroud did not get sacked for the game, but he got hit several times very hard just as he was releasing the ball. I mean, he had so much pressure the whole game. And, I mean, you said it. That's exactly right. You know, the Ravens' defense so good at disguising, and and their front seven is great. So, yeah, the, the difference is usually in the trenches in a game like this, and today was no exception. Yeah, Shaq Mason, he's a mediocre guard for the Texans. He looks great because we just haven't had really good guards in a long time. Go back to probably somebody like Brandon Brooks or somebody. But the Texans, you know, they they just don't have the guys. I mean, you know, George Vance has been fine, but he's just a fine offensive lineman. He's He's not that good. He was available for the Texans on the free agent market for next to nothing for a reason. 
Dieter was a practice squad guy before the season started for a reason. Drew Scruggs is a rookie. You know, as I keep saying, he's a rookie that's a center playing guard. Playing he's out not of position. A, yeah. He's not a guard, and he's no. having to play guard because we've had 14 guards go down this year. Well, I was just going to say, Robert, I mean, with all the injuries we've had, the Texans have just had to put bodies in there. And, you know, the deeper you go, the closer you get to the bottom of the barrel. And that's really what this offensive line has been. And look, we're, we're not making excuses, just pointing out the fact of how many offensive linemen have come and gone this year that you've had to try to replace. And you can only do so much. I, I mean, I, I counted a blessing that Stroud, uh, Stroud didn't get sacked several times in this game because he certainly could have. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, he he really did a nice job navigating the pocket and getting out of trouble over and over again. So the Texans pin the Ravens at the seven. That looks great. You know, even with, you know, not moving the ball in, into the field goal range right there. But the defense at this point, it looks like they wore down. Yeah. Ravens go 93 yards. Stigley burned on the touchdown, uh, Stephen. But Jackson floated it. Just out of Stingley's reach, nice pass. But I'm I'm just going to point out, Stephen. You know, we sometimes think, oh, the team with the bye week, they lose momentum. What? Look, the Ravens really had a three weeks off, and the Texans, in a cold environment, after playing after one week, had far less rest, and it was far more exhausting than what the Ravens dealt with for having three weeks off. And and it showed by the time the second half rolls around, that's when that stuff starts to show. And, and, you know, the talent has a lot to do with it, too. Well, it absolutely does. And, I mean, there are so many questions coming into the game. Well, the Ravens have had three weeks off. Are they going to be rusty? I mean, it's just, you know, we, we, we say this every time, but when you're the better team, you shouldn't be rusty. And the Ravens obviously were not. And, and they certainly are the better team. They're the number one seed. So it should be no surprise that they came out the way they did. And, yeah, the Texans, you know, you kept thinking, well, they're riding the wave. They're hot. You know, they've got some momentum. You wouldn't want them to take a week or two off. But I I think you're right, Robert. You also have to remember how many injuries they've had both on offense and defense. Some of these guys were playing hobbled. And that cold weather, let me tell you, when you get in that cold weather and you get hit or you have, you know, some of the ankle injuries that, you know, I think Will Anderson left was at the end of the third quarter, didn't return as far as I know. I mean, it it just catches up with you after a while. Again, not giving credit away from the Ravens and how well they played. Yeah, you took the words right out. That's exactly what I was, because I wanted to get back to what was mentioned earlier. And and this is about, you know, the, the, the Ravens not giving them credit. At the same point, the Ravens, you know, they've had their own health health issues, but the Texans, have health issues to a bunch of key guys. And Will Anderson and John Grenard have been playing through major injuries that if it was at this point in the season, they might have not been playing. You know, and 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 those guys were playing in, in super cold weather. They had, you know, the week off where, you know, the, the Ravens, you know, had three weeks off. So their guys, the ones that were injured, could nurse the injuries a little bit. And then I don't think Christian Harris, who, by the way, has just turned into a, to a total stud. We've been talking oh, about yeah. that, Stephen, me, and Sean. And, and, and he was yeah. having another great game in the first half, and then he got banged up in the second half. So that was another key guy. So you had Christian Harris banged up. Blake Cashman, I don't think, has been 100% since no. he came back. Will Anderson and Grenard are banged up. Those are four of your best five 
defensive players along yeah, with Nelson Dirk got Sigurdsson. shaken up. He he got taken out too. Yeah, and Steven Nelson, your other your other starting cornerback, gets shaken up later in the game. But um, yeah, it's it, to me, it's like I, next year. Hopefully, you you can get you can have these guys just a little bit more healthy going into the postseason. You know, it's kind of like how many injuries. I, I guess this is the year of injuries for Houston teams. I mean, you think about the Astros and all the injuries they had this season and how far they went. And then you think of the Texans and my gosh, how many injuries they had this entire season. And yet they finished 10 and seven way above what you thought they win their first round playoff game. They hold their own with the Ravens in the first half of this game, but it just wears you down. you know, a team like Baltimore, they just wear you down and that's why they're so good. Yeah, Lamar Jackson, just let me throw his numbers out if you haven't looked at him. 11 carries, 100 yards. That's the biggie. Uh, Passing-wise, 16 for 22, 152 yards. But let me just point out that Lamar Jackson, he had the 22 attempts, and he didn't have a lot of incompletions. But early in the game, when the Texans had a little bit more energy and were, were not like so exhausted and banged up, Lamar Jackson was having – all sorts of time back there, and he couldn't find anybody because the Texans were doing a really nice job. Well, that's right. And he, uh, you know, the, they've talked about how accurate he is as a passer, and he's he's had his ups and downs with that. I mean, I think he's been better throughout most of this season, but he still runs into those instances where he's just not accurate with his passes. But, you know, he, he finally got it together as the game went on, as much as the fact that the Texans were wearing down. But, yeah, that, that could have been a big difference in the game if, they had just kept Jackson off balance enough to where he'd missed on his passes. But, you know, he just has so many weapons to go to, Robert, not just for throwing. But, I mean, we talked about all three of their running backs playing a part. And and then, you know, you get the tight end going, who the Texans have had so much trouble throwing to the tight end. Likely he caught that touchdown pass. But I think he only caught maybe two or three balls today. But, you know, that's one thing that the Texans have had trouble with. I think tight ends have caught – 107 passes off the Texans this season. That's a lot. But Lamar Jackson just has so many weapons to go to. That's a big difference as well. Uh, we got a Ravens fan, Royal, that says, Raven fans, uh, Ravens fan here, you guys fought a good fight. And, you know, if I, if I, if I get trash-talking Ravens people, uh, by the way, you guys disappear. So don't you're wasting your time trash talking. So um, <laughs> well, uh, you're right, Royal. Good luck to you. I mean, that's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, how, who? How can you be mad at the Texans and and the Texans fans that are just like ecstatic to be here? You, you don't want to. Why are you picking a fight with me? If you if you don't like Texans fans, go find them on social media. But I'm not the guy talking trash. So, um, but Stephen, we just gotta. You know, this is. This is the real fun time where there wasn't any expectation, you know, just an incredible season. You don't feel like you got to go around pointing fingers because you just weren't expecting any, any of this and looking at it for next year, you know, it's, it's going to be a different story, but I, I, I've just got to say this was, you know, it was one of the most fun seasons I've ever had rooting for the Texans or the Oilers over the years. I mean, this really goes back to, and and I, I think I said it before, but I, I kind of pointed to maybe around that 1990 Oilers team when Jack Pardee took over because I didn't particularly like Jerry Glanville. And then to have Pardee, you know, and all the talent that the Oilers had at that time, and you thought, 
holy cow, this this could start to really be something. And this is really the first time since that time where you're like, we got a quarterback, we got a coach, we got talent on both sides of the football. This can really be something. Yeah, it certainly can, Robert. And I just, you you hope that this is the beginning of something special and not just one of those flashes in the pan where next year they kind of go backwards a little bit. I just don't think, I mean, it's, sure, it's possible, but I just think D'Amico guys, uh, Ryan's is the guy to lead this team. I mean, we coming in, you know, by this time last year, we didn't have a lot of excitement. Then they hired D'Amico. We start getting a little excited because we feel like we finally got a coach who's going to turn this team around. And that's what D'Amico did. And he brought guys in that he felt could contribute. Now, a number of these guys are not going to be here next year because they were on one-year deals. But you have to think going into the offseason, you know, the Texans may not make like huge free agent splashes, but if they could just shore up some things in the free agent market, and then, of course, they've got the draft, and they've got some draft choices to play with, the future certainly looks bright. And so I'm hoping that this is the beginning of something great and that, you know, next year we'll be talking an even deeper Texans run. Yeah, isn't it pretty simple, though? The only thing that stops you next year is a C.J. Stroud injury. Yep. I mean, it's you have C.J. That's the ticket. You got to keep your quarterback healthy. You got to get deeper at wide receiver. You know, you got to get Tank Dell back. You, I, I still think you need to shore up the wide receiver position. You know, you want Collins to have another good year but you need some guys behind him. You need more weapons, just like Lamar Jackson has weapons. C.J. Stroud needs more weapons too. And yep, that, that that's the big key. C.J. goes down, your season pretty much goes down with it. Yeah, and let me just point out for weapons, Tank Dell was injured. Now, maybe that's going to be a recurring problem, but hopefully you get Tank Dell back. Noah Brown was injured. He was your third best wide receiver. You did not, you could not have foreseen uh, Noah Brown being out, you know, and 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 then you had rookies backing him up that won't be rookies next year. So either John Mechie and Xavier Hutchinson, either they get it together and they look like they're going to be something going into the next season, or there's going to be guys behind him, I assume, that Casario is going to have ready to go because of that. But look, look on defense, look, the, the Texans have a real infrastructure. Will Anderson, Christian Harris, Derek Stingley. And hopefully yeah. they're going to add some guys into the draft. And, and you know, you got to keep Jonathan Grenard. If you keep John Grenard, I think you're you're really in a, in a great place on defense with those guys. Um, Blake Cashman, that's another guy that you would hope to keep around. But Cashman has injury issues, so you still need to work on the linebacking core. You know, my, my thing, Stephen, like to me, the primary goal – in this next draft is cornerback. Yeah. Because absolutely. Stingley was healthy. He's not always healthy. You know, if you really want to just make that defense a lockdown defense, you put another cornerback next to Derek Stingley, and then you really got something with Will Anderson and hopefully Grenard. Yeah, you need somebody on that other side because if there's one thing the Texans defense did have trouble with this year, Robert, is giving up those explosive plays. Yeah, they made some explosive plays on offense. But the defense really gave up more explosive plays than they needed to. And a lot of that comes down to the secondary. So they definitely need to shore up the secondary. You know, still maybe to need to add someone on the defensive line, I think, to make it, to really bolster it. 
And it's going to be interesting to see who you're willing to pay up for. And I certainly think Grenard is one of those guys that you may have to step up and pay up for if you want to keep this line intact and then even make it greater next year. Yeah, Malik Collins is signed for next year. Right. Um, you, you you might want to bring back some of the other starters at, at linebacker and then at safety. I, I don't know what you're going to do at safety because, again, I'm not sold on Jalen Petrie. Jimmy Ward has always had some injury issues, and he had a ton of them this year. Yeah. Um, the backups that you were, were pretty good backups, those guys were out the whole year. We talked about, you know, losing losing guys like MJ Stewart and Eric Murray were a big deal, and you could really lose those guys. So, I mean, you could use those guys. So, I mean, it's it's getting the safety position right, and I think adding a cornerback because the run, I think D'Amico can make the run work. I mean, really, Stephen, I mean, it seems like he took what was a terrible running game, run, running run defense, and really with not a whole lot of changes, turned it into great run defense. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of today, but yeah, throughout the whole season, I, I mean, they were certainly so much better. What were they, 31st against the run last year? So, you know, they came up significantly in that department. And if you could just shore up some of those areas, then yeah, there's no reason to think that your run defense is going to be better and your pass defense, especially in the secondary, is going to be better next year. John uh, Carter says, I love CJ. He is going to be great. Uh, looks like we have a Ravens fan that's saying that we have a great team and we had him on their heels. No shame. Great season. Um, Steven, I, I just, you know, I just can't say how incredible it was what CJ Stroud did in these two playoff games to not throw an interception. I think he's probably in the neighborhood of 200 straight passes without an interception. To end this season, the three games that he did have interceptions in, the Texans won anyway. He only had three games of the 17 games that he played as a rookie where he threw an interception in. It's it. This is just, I mean, we, we keep talking about it because it's we've never seen anything like this before. No, we haven't. I mean, he threw three of those interceptions in one game. And what is this now, six straight games that he's gone without an interception? You know, Robert, how ironic is it that at this time last year, we were bemoaning the fact that the Texans had the number two pick. And I know you guys have probably talked about this on the show, but we were bemoaning the fact that they had the number two pick. They were probably going to have to pick C.J. Stroud. You know, the Panthers were going to pick Bryce Young. My, how things change. You know, what, what kind of year did Bryce Young have? I'll wait. <laughs> yeah, well, he didn't have he, he was injured most of the time. If he wasn't injured, he was ineffective. And CJ Stroud is the guy who takes the Texans to the playoffs. I mean, it just goes to show that sometimes you get it right, even if it doesn't look like you're getting it right. And certainly the Texans got it right with CJ Stroud, but it just didn't seem that way about this time last year. That's all. And the other thing you improve next year is the running game. How do you improve the running game? Yeah, you could get a better running back or two. Yeah, for sure. But the biggest issue, without question, is the offensive line. And that has to do with the injuries. You've had guys that are not playing, that if they were playing in the positions that you wanted them to play in, they would be pushing guys back. They were good run blockers. Titus Howard at right tackle is a really good run blocker. Juice Scruggs 
is strong for a center. He's not strong for a left guard. And he's a rookie. You know, next year he's going to be better. And then at left guard, you would hope uh, Kenyon Green will be healthy and maybe we can see the Kenyon Green that we drafted in the first round. But if not, you know, you might have to put Jared Patterson over there. I don't know if he's going to push guys around, but you might have to go find somebody either, you know, in the first round. I mean, not in the first round, but in the draft, you know, it would be a mid-round pick because you you want to, you know, look at Kenyon Green, but either in the draft or, you know, somebody that you're going to have to pick up at free agency and 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 maybe handle it right there. But somewhere along the line, you've got to find that left guard and somebody that can really help push things because Shaq Mason at right guard, I don't think he does that. Well, you know, most of the names you mentioned, Robert, the problem is, is they have been injured. You know, can they come back? And I, I just, I, they definitely need to shore that up. And if you get the run game right, I mean, you showed that this happened today. They were not able to set up the run to get the pass going for C.J. Stroud. I mean, it's obvious. That's what they need to do more of next year. And that the the offensive line certainly needs to do a better job with the run. But you've got to get guys in there that are going to stay healthy in order to do that. So it, it's kind of a catch-22 there, what you do. Yeah, the tricky thing is, and this is, you know, why Nick Casario is getting paid the big bucks, is he's invested in this offensive line. He wanted guys that were going to be around and play together and get chemistry. So he signed them to long-term contracts. Yeah. Titus, Shaq Mason, Laramie Tunsil, they're all signed for four years. Coincidence? No, because that's no. when C.J. Stroud, you know, becomes a, you know, highly paid uh, quarterback. So you want those guys together and working with C.J. And those guys are locked in at those positions. And you just drafted Juice Scruggs. You just drafted Kenyon Green. So you, you, you've you invested high picks in both of those players, Scruggs in the second round, Kenyon Green in the first round. That's that's the key part of this whole offseason is how are these guys getting healthy and can they do the job once they get healthy? Titus, of course, can. We've seen him do it at right tackle, not at left guard. And Drew well, Scruggs, I think, will be good at center. I, I have confidence from what I saw from him when he was in the preseason at center. But at left guard, Kenyon Green. I mean, that's the big... To me, that's the whole fulcrum of this offensive line. And can can it turn a corner? How does it turn a corner? They've got it. They've got to get that position right. Yeah, they certainly do. And really, the, the biggest key is if they can get some of these guys back that can play in the positions that they're supposed to play in, then your line gets better chemistry, and then hopefully you get better results. But that's the key is that so many players are playing out of position that it's just hard to expect them to do as as well as they have for most of the season, you know, despite the, all the injuries and despite the fact that they're not playing in the positions they're supposed to. Uh, Steven, I, I was just thinking about this. I mean, the, the Texans fans, the Oilers fans, it's been 44 years since we've seen an AFC championship game. I, I, I hope we don't have to wait that much longer. I feel like, you know, we're, 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 we've got some stuff. We got some stuff to work with. You know, D'Amico's not going anywhere. Bobby Slowick, let me ask you, how important do you think he is? Is, is? is he somebody that they can replace? Is it, if he walks out the door, are, are you worried? Well, slightly. I mean, it's just one of those things you expect. I mean, when you're win, 
then people are going to come after you. Other teams are going to come after you because they see your success. You know, Bobby Slowick coming from a great line and, and just his first year, I think he got better as he went along, but it would be a shame to lose him after one year because of the job that he's done with C.J. Stroud. But I also think that with Stroud, you know, this is a guy who is focused. I don't think it's going to matter who the offensive coordinator is as long as Stroud is locked in and he gets the system. You know, it is important. You do want to build the system around your quarterback. If C.J. gets the system, I don't think it's going to matter who the offensive coordinator is. But I'm not so sure that, you know, other teams may think so, but being an offensive coordinator for one year doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready to be a head coach. So selfishly, I'm kind of hoping that Bobby does come back next year, that he doesn't get any of these jobs that he's been interviewing for. Give it another year and let's see what happens. But, you know, ultimately it's going to happen. If you keep winning, you're going to lose guys. You're going to lose assistants to be head coaches somewhere else. Yeah, that's the sign of success. And yeah, I just, I'm the same way you are. Just one more year here. Let's get, C.J. Stroud into his second year and let's see what they can do with just one more year in the program. And, you know, Gerard Johnson, who's the quarterback coach working with Slowick, I feel like that'll be one year closer to him being ready and up to speed and maybe, you know, somewhere close to as good as Bobby Slowick is. That's that's what you're hoping for is you can start, you know, a line of successors. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And if there's one thing that I do have confidence in D'Amico Ryan's in, it's knowing the right coaches to bring in. I mean, you know, look at this year. I mean, I, I mean it's only one year. I get, I get it. You have to do it over a period of years. And if you keep losing assistance <laughs> to head coaching jobs to other teams, then the challenge is going to have to be re- to replace them. But if there's one guy that I think that has the ability to do that, it's D'Amico Ryans. So the Texans, uh, the next deal is they're going to have to start looking at free agency, I guess, Stephen, that's the next step. And then, then we'll start talking about the draft. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, we, we get through the AFC or the championship games and the Super Bowl, and, and then you start talking about free agency. It'll fire up not too long after that. And like I said, I don't know if the Texans are going to make any, like, huge splashes like the Astros made the other day. <laughs> but yeah, certainly I think it's it's about filling key positions with key players. And I think – that's what you're going to see. And that, of course, will – what do they have, like $74 million in the cap or something to, to spend? So it's going to be interesting to see how they do that. And then we'll be able to take a look at, okay, what do you do in the draft this time? Yeah, that's going to be the big deal is how are they going to look at this draft and what exactly do they need? And I, I, I've said it over and over again. It's a deep wide receiver draft. Everybody wants to, oh, we need to get 14 different wide receivers for C.J. Stroud. If you have C.J. Stroud, the advantage of having a C.J. Stroud is that you don't have to get a bunch of first-round pick, great wide receivers. Go make sure everything else is good, like the cornerbacks and the defense and the offensive line. Get that stuff right because you do have C.J. Stroud to start with. And you mentioned what the Astros did. If anybody missed it, I put up a few minutes on the Josh Hader signing from yesterday. We'll have more midweek. Sean should be back midweek. He's dealing with some family stuff this weekend. If you're wondering where Sean Bajani is, Sports Radio 610 uh, is in this one. But, um, yeah, we're, we've got 
plenty of stuff. If you've been following the live post games all year, the live Texans post games, please continue to uh, come with us because we're going to keep talking Texans. We're going to keep talking all the Houston sports. Um, this goes year round. We've been doing this weekly for over 10 years now, but we appreciate everybody that's been with us on the live post game shows that's coming along for the ride. It's been, it's been a hell of a deal. And it's, you know, it's really the most fun I have, Stephen, and all this stuff. We, we get to do the live post, we get to talk about actual games. Well, this is certainly fun for me, Robert. I mean, I had a broadcasting career for many years and I got to do sports talk, but uh, you know, nothing like this, you know, where, yeah, even in a loss, you're talking about a Texans team that made the playoffs when they really shouldn't have. I mean, yeah, this is where it's fun. You know, we get to talk live. I remember we used to record the post-game shows after the Texans games. We used to record the post-game shows after the Astros and Rockets postseason games. Now we get to do them live, so that means we get to take comments from you, the, the listeners and the viewers. Yeah, that's what really makes it fun for me. And I know for you and Sean and, you know, RG, some of the guys that have been co-hosts with you in the past. The Texans were... Uh, 11 and eight this year, they ended the season. Is that right, Stephen? Does that sound like the right number? Yeah, 11, because they were 11 and seven coming in today. So yeah, 11 and eight, if you count the two playoff games, yep. And if you take away the Ravens games, they were 11 and six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. You got to beat those, you got to find a way to beat those Ravens, you know, both in the regular season and in the playoffs, because you've lost to them twice. In fact, the Texans have never won in Baltimore. It's still one of the few demons that they have yet to get rid of is winning in Baltimore. Also, if you take away the first two games of the season, which was Stroud's first game as an NFL player, his first two games actually, and D'Amico's first two games as an NFL head coach, they were 11 and six. So, well, and you think about that Ravens, the first Ravens game, you know, the first game of the season, CJ Stroud didn't even play the equivalent of two preseason games. And yet he throws for what, 242 yards. He didn't have any touchdown passes, but guess what? He didn't have any interceptions either. I mean, he looked impressive in his first NFL regular season game. That gave you hope. The team was just starting to come together. So, yeah, even in that first game, C.J. Stroud looked very impressive. Congratulations to the Ravens. Congratulations to all you teams that are, are moving on to the next round and hope to see everybody Next year when the Texans have got maybe a little bit more talent and are a little bit more ready for this, but man, what a year, what a year it's been. I uh, want to thank everybody. want to thank Stephen for subbing in for Sean. Um, we, you're going to see Stephen more often here as we move forward. Um, if you've been watching us for the last decade, you know that Stephen did this regularly for two and a half years. He's been in the business doing sports journalism for what is it now, Stephen, close to 40 years? Well, yeah, just about. As a freelance writer, about 25. So, yep, over 40. Texan season ends, but oh, my God, what a season it's been. What a Cinderella ride. This was so beautiful to watch. Thank you, D'Amico. Thank you, CJ. Thanks to all the Texans this year who just were a joy and, and, and a pleasure to root for and watch and all of that. And we'll see you on our next show. Thanks a lot, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.